welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and the go-to man for all your Wolverhampton Wanderers requirements, the Sheriff of Stafford, Tim Spears. Hi, Tim. I'll only take you to think, come up with that. That's terrible. Are you happy with that? <laughs> well, you keep, you keep calling me the Queen of Codsall. I'm like, come on, That's what you are. For you. Queen of Codsall. Sheriff of Stafford he is. And coming up on the Molyneux View, we'll be speaking to Eric Krakauer, a football commentator who's covered several games involving Wolves' new French left wing-back, Royanade Nouré. Come on. We do keep signing players that sound wonderful in black country accent. And long may that continue, by the way. Now, all supporters who see the gold in the golden black are relatively content at the moment. Two Premier League wins out of four, two clean sheets, a win despite three left wing backs absent, with talented, promising new signings still bedding in, with zero pre-season behind them. And those who see more black than gold... Well, they feel Wolves are worse off than the start of the window. They could scarcely beat the worst side in the division at home. They're boring to watch. And these fans are worried. Tim, are you more gold or black? Yeah, it changes on an hourly basis, I think, Jackie. Uh, as as per my emotional state, uh, they're very happy or very sad. Um, I'm a bit concerned in, in the short term. That West Ham game completely threw me. Uh, I, I, I didn't see it coming at all. And, you know, they manfully struggled on against Fulham to get an important win. But so much is up in the air at the moment. You know, Nuno's post-match comments after Fulham, which, you know, we'll talk about. He was moaning a lot about lack of preparation, not being able to work with his players. You know, this is not the Wolves that we know. And um, it's hard to predict what they're going to do next, to be honest. Mm. OK, well, we'll come on to discuss the Fulham match in depth in shortly, which I'm sure is what everybody wants to do and wants to hear. But first of all, let's talk about the window. Because at Wolverhampton Wanderers, you don't tend to get a a deadline day clamour these days, which we tend to see as a good thing. A lot of Wolves fans would be upset because they want some blockbuster signing that the club's been working on that they didn't know about that's come out the woodwork. They want to sign somebody they've heard of. And isn't it wonderful and how this guy is going to change the Wolves season. But as we've said numerous times on this podcast, Tim, that's not the way Wolves operate. And surely that's not the way to operate, is it? Well, deadline day can be can be pure mayhem from a from a journalist point of view as you can imagine i used to love just sitting on my backside watching sky sports news as a as a journalist it's it's totally different you got it's all it's always like a 15 hour day minimum there's usually something going on um i've, I've had some absolutely mental ones over the years ones that go right to the wire i remember the do you remember the benicophobi loan in yeah. 2018 <laughs> yes. and he was he was he was called back to compton at 10:30 p.m. at night <laughs> Half the staff had gone home. Um, that was a bit crazy. Even last year, last year in Armenia, of all places, last year, 3,000 miles from home, transfer deadline day in the middle of a Europa League game. That was crazy, listening to System of a Down in the uh, in the Armenian National Stadium. Um, but I was bored. I was bored on Monday. I was just chilling. Nothing going on. It was um, 15 hours of Ruben Vinagre going to Olympiacos, which, which you know, you can analyse it as much as you want. The biggest drama of the day was the was the Willy Wonty Oscar Burr Rasmussen loan deal to the Dutch second division. Which, oh, you know, it's not bloody EastEnders, <laughs> is it? Um, and it was think? the same at it was the um, it was the same at Compton. It was very very quiet. You know, the staff normally kind of dig in for the night and get a massive Domino's order in, and all kind of sit there waiting for things to happen in the evening. But I, they, they didn't even get to number one pizza in town yesterday. It was all very very quiet. <laughs> so um, yeah, I was going to take the credit for this line, which you. Um, but I'll correctly reference your words of, words of wisdom here, that um, it's the sign of a well-run club. 
that they weren't doing anything on the last day. They weren't scrambling around. Um, they're happy with what they've done. I know there was I know there's frustration from fans that they weren't doing more yesterday, particularly signing a centre half or a centre midfielder. Probably not helped by the kind of pure fantasy of made up rumours that, you know, you still get on the last day, even though, you know, you know for a fact that there's nothing going on and then you you're reading on, on websites that are on Twitter that uh, Wolves are after Thomas Lamar and you know, uh, it's happened all window and it will always happen. Yeah, we had Alex Tellez sign in, in a matter of hours a few a couple of weeks ago <laughs> from Porto. Ended up going to Man United yesterday. Thomas Estevez. Yeah, but he was at Porto. So that's a very good indication that he was on his way to Wolverhampton. Come on, give people some credit. He speaks Portuguese and he plays for Porto. I, you know, I, I get it. And then Thomas Thomas Estevez was another one who ended up going to Reading on loan yesterday from Porto. Palhinha as well. So I, I don't think that helps the club because it looks to to some people like they're failing to land targets that I think that's a message they've been keen to get across really in the last few days when you know in reality these players were never going to join and they were happy with what they've done I mean that they were done Hang on failing to land targets that some students in his bedroom has come up with and put out there for Wolves fans to get their hopes up and then when they don't sign them oh Terrible. They haven't signed who they wanted. I think that's the frustration. And, the in the first place. and obviously they're not going to give a running commentary on what's going on every day. And obviously things change. I mean, they were done a week ago. Um, business was all done. And then the opportunity to um, get Vinagra on loan came up and they brought in Nate Nori, as you've said, which uh, feels like a good deal to me. You know, Vinagra struggling, not doing that well. Sorry, can I interject there? When you say the opportunity to get Vinagra out to Olympiacos, we know that George Mendes is heavily involved with Olympiacos. Was that a case of, after the West Ham game, thinking, we can't continue like this, he isn't kicking on, we need to upgrade this position, despite the fact that Marcel's there, and that happening quickly as a result of uninspiring performances from Vinagra, rather than suddenly Olympiacos just came out of the blue and thought, we really fancy this young Portuguese left wing back at Wolverhampton Wanderers. Yeah, of course, that's that's not how it works, is it? We know in the George Mendes world, that is not how it works, and... I'd first heard six weeks ago, I think, maybe, maybe not that long, that, that Vinagra was sort of on the endangered species list. And then I think um, Marcel's injury um, kind of put that on the back burner. You know, if he was going to be out for a, for a few weeks, that might have changed things. Um, but Vinagra came in and, and was uninspiring, as you say, and West Ham was probably the final straw, really. So... Um, I ignore he's someone they've been tracking for a while, and I think I think it's a good deal. One out, one in, both on loan. Options on both. I don't I don't envisage in a million years that Olympiacos are going to pay twenty two point five million pounds to buy Ruben Vinagra in a year's time. Soon as their record transfers about ten million less than that, and you know Vinagra is as good as he can be. I'm not sure he's necessarily um, worth twenty two point five million at this point. So. Um, so we'll see, but it's, do you know what? It's a good move for him, as we've as we've seen and and as I've seen firsthand at the weekend with Morgan Gibbs White at Swansea, playing. There's nothing that beats playing regular games, and that's you know Vinagre has had his chances, but maybe you know 10, 20 games in a row for Olympiacos will do the world a good, albeit at a lower level. And hopefully he can either come back next year and, and come back in the first team squad, or they'll get a good deal for him elsewhere by him him impressing in Greece. And in terms of eight Nori, that's an option in Wolves' favour, presumably. If he impresses, that's the fee they have to pay and no more than that. Yeah, and we, but equally, if he doesn't impress, we, they don't have to. We see this all the time across football and Wolves now that they that they spread the cost of deals across years. And it, 
I feel like if, if if he does if he does well and shows the promise that they expect him to, then then they'll pay that money, and they probably would have paid it this summer. However, they've already spent eighty million, um, or committed to spend eighty million, so they'd like to spread the costs of those deals out. It makes it makes financial sense. It makes for better uh, long term planning at a football club that doesn't know what its income level is going to be this year. So that that makes sense to me. And just remind us of the other ins and outs of this window. Yeah, uh, six in, six out really is what you'd say. I know you, you can quibble over whether Will Norris is a first team player or Leo Campana is a first team player, but you know, soon as they neither of them played a single minute for Wolves last season, I don't count them. Equally, Sarkic, the keeper from Villa, come in as what third or fourth choice and gone straight to Shrewsbury on loan. I don't count him as first team either. Sorry if you're listening. However, so we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll say six in, six out. I think I think you're looking at the players coming in and the ones that they've replaced, it's a window that's seen them upgrade and improve the squad. So they've brought in Fabio Silva, as we know. I'd say he's replaced Campana slash probably Catroni in the squad, really. And then Nelson Semedo in for Matt Doherty at right wing back. I know he's coming for Vinagra, obviously. Um, Keanu Hoover's replaced Oscar Berasmussen in the squad, I think you'd say. Certainly as, a, as the second right wing back option. Then Vitini has come in to replace sort of Gibbs White and Jordao um, and then Jota's gone but not really been replaced because they feel they've got enough cover in Traore in Pedence in Neto and in Silva with Shabani as an extra so it's six in six out it's 80 million committed to spend they haven't spent that this summer but they've committed to spending it and it's 80 million received again that's sort of committed deals because Jota's 45 million but they've only received 4 million this year but you know Including add-ons, they'll they'll could get up to forty-five million. So net spend of of zero. Now, again, with your glass half full or empty, you could say Wolves should be spending more. They should, uh, in terms of net spend, they should be more ambitious. They should have bought in more first-team signings. Well, you could say that's pretty that's pretty sensible financial um, moves. And I think the the value they've got for Doc. 15 million, Jota 40, up to 45, and Costa 20. I think that's pretty good money for, for the ones that they brought in. You were so. saying that a couple of weeks ago about Doc. You were fuming at the 15 million. Fuming. I'll, I'll amend that. I don't agree with 15 million at all, but I think 80 million for the three of them is is excellent, and, and you can't argue with that. But yeah, the Doc alone, 15 million. That's no, that's, that's a rip off in terms of a deal. Um, so. I think they're well-placed long-term. I don't think we'll know how good this window has been for a couple of years. And I know that's true of every transfer window. You don't know how good it is until you've seen them play and you've seen new signings bed in. And not, of course, not all new signing is going to work out. But seeing as um, four of their new signings can't buy a beer in America because they're aged under 21, they're also not entitled to the full national minimum wage in the UK. Just a little fact for you there. They can't drive a lorry. In the UK, either Jackie, that'll be devastating for Fabio Silva. Can they can they nick a bus on the A four four nine Stafford Road and, uh, and drive it up to Molyneux like Brian Law? That's did. brilliant. Can they do I that? can't believe you've referenced that. Wolves defender Brian Law nicking a bus. It was the, it was the five ten. 
We need to get him on sometime. I've tried. I've tried. The man's gone what AWOL. I've been chasing him for was. a year. And we were chatting and he was up for an interview and now he's gone. Jackie's gone AWOL. Um, he's, he's nicked a bus <laughs> and gone driving around the country. Um, it was the it was the old 510 to Compton that, that he nicked. If people don't have a clue what we're on oh, about, was it? it was 1995. Um, a lesser known Wolves defender called Brian Law um, got inebriated, I think it's fair enough to say, and nicked a bus and drove it around Rolverhampton and crashed it, ended up in court. Um, he had another Wolves player in the back, didn't he? But they protected that player. I wonder who that was. I did hear a rumour who it was, but I'm not going to say. So, young young signings, um, they're not all going to make an immediate impact, but I think we'll certainly hope that they're all kind of exceptionally highly rated in terms of potential. Um, and in a couple of years' time, they could have some a couple of real superstars on their hands there. So... It's a window that's looked to the long term in terms of those additions. You can't forget also the Nuno contract, Connor Cody's contract, and now Raul Jimenez's contract. And Adama Traoré will, will be next, according to the excellent John Percy, who did a story a couple of days ago in The Telegraph. My problem with the window is that they haven't done enough to strengthen the first 11. And Semedo, in theory... And Sunday's performance against Fulham was very promising to that effect. So made in theory will be an upgrade on Doherty and help them transform their style. The other sort of guaranteed first teamer is Marcel, who in the short term is a replacement for Johnny, but obviously can also play at centre half and that may be somewhere where he ends up. But with Jota and Doherty gone, have they re- have they really strengthened their first eleven enough? I think you can say it's a marginal improvement but not necessarily a big one. And then you look at the teams around them, you look at how great Everton look, albeit against average opposition, I think you'd say, for Everton. Everyone's getting carried away, but we'll, we'll see in the coming weeks how good they are. Spurs obviously strengthening a lot. Chelsea spent a crazy amount. Arsenal. And then you look at teams like Leeds, dare I say Villa, maybe looking at the top 10 after their promising starts. We'll see. Eyebrows raised there from J.O. Um, it's going to be a huge challenge to finish seventh. And after an indifferent and a mixed start and Nuno talking about his players aren't going to hit their peak for a while. And that's the that's the players we already know and trust on and rely on. So it's been an ambitious window, one that looks to the long term, but I am concerned that they haven't done enough to strengthen the first 11. I would have liked a centre-half and a centre-mid, but um, I think they've prioritised their finances elsewhere. I did wonder at one point the other day I was thinking John Stones has suddenly become available and he'll be sitting on the city you did text me with that little scout report <laughs> yes you did I text you occasionally with my random thoughts about who Wolves might sign John Stones suddenly surplus to requirements very good England international needs to play regularly plays very much the Wolves way the Nuno way um, I did wonder whether that might be on the radar, bearing in mind, wouldn't do them any harm to get another English uh, player through the door. Um, and did wonder about Ruben Loftus-Cheek as well, not necessarily a, a Nuno signing, but um, anyway, he's gone to Fulham now. So um, good luck to them. Good job Wolves played them before Lookman had bedded in and uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, etc. We'll come on to that game in a minute. But just one interesting quote, I thought, from Nuno's post-match press conference on Sunday about the window. I'm worried, he said, You never know. Anyone can come. It's trying to stop nobody going out. That's what worries me the most. Why would he be so worried about players going out? Surely, if another club was going to come in last minute for one of his star players, they'd just say no, wouldn't they? He has enough sway to be able to say, no, I'm not losing them. 
doesn't he? Or is this a Mendes situation and, and the kind of power that he holds over proceedings? Him and Nuno are pretty equal, really, um, in terms of their standing. And I, I, I see that as more of a an overview of the window, not necessarily the last couple of days that he's worried that people will go. I remember, again, referencing Armenia, that crazy trip a year ago, at the end of deadline day, he said the best the best thing we've done this window is 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 keep our players, and I think you could say the same again this window. You know, they voluntarily let Jota go. I, I really don't want that to to be um, revised in history. That you know Jota was sort of cherry picked because he wasn't. You know, he dropped down the pecking order. He wasn't in the team. They were happy to let him go and got a good deal for him. Doherty as well. They were happy to let him go. So that's been. He might say that that's the major success of this window for the here and now is that Jimenez, Traore, Neves, and himself are all are all still at the club and others, and that might that might be the thing that that most strengthens them for this season. The fact they've managed to hold on to those. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now let's bring in the football commentator for Being Sports, Eric Krakauer, who has seen Wolves' new boy, Ryan Aitnori, in several uh, matches that he's called. Hi, Eric. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for getting up so early for us, although I don't have a huge amount of sympathy because you're in Miami and we're not. So <laughs> that's Acceptable. where the gratitude ends. On that basis, but we are very, very grateful to have you on, and um, and you have seen this boy live several times. Tell us more. Tell us everything that you know. Empty your brain of Ryan Aitnori to our Molyneux View listeners, please. Well, let me start with this. I think it's an excellent signing. Uh, he's still very young, so I think that Wolves fans are going to have to be patient with him. I actually just called his last game. Uh, for Angers, which was Friday against PSG, and uh, and PSG were absolutely ravenous, so they beat uh, Angers 6-1. Um, but he was one of the the, the bright players for uh, for Angers, playing as a left wing back, very skillful on the ball. He is fabulous going forward, uh, full of confidence, makes a lot of darting runs, drives forward with the ball, uh, loves taking on. Uh, defenders, and you saw that against PSG. And, and what I think is so remarkable when you see him with the ball is the absolute confidence that he that he has, even when he's playing against far superior opposition. In this case, a team that made it all the way uh, to the uh, Champions League uh, final. Un- unfortunately, uh, last season uh, in January, he uh, suffered a broken jaw against Nice, and so. I hadn't seen him for a while. Um, he was uh, making his comeback uh, this season. And actually, I, I remarked during the broadcast that reports were leaking out of France that he had rejected an initial move uh, to Wolves, which I thought was interesting considering who his agent is and the close proximity or the close ties that he has with the club. But lo and behold, a few days later, um, the the move actually materializes, and I think that Wolves is getting an exceptional player with a very very high ceiling. Because we were wondering, Eric, whether this might have um, sort of got the go ahead really as a result of that 
really poor Wolves performance at West Ham last weekend um, in terms of Nagra going to Olympiacos and suddenly Hayton Nori coming in. So is that your understanding too, that it suddenly came having not been on the cards prior to that? Yeah, well, I think it was, the cards were there. Uh, I think that there were certainly conversations between uh, the clubs and I'm not sure whether it was the player who rejected the initial offer or, or the club itself. And I think part of that has to do with the fact that he's that he's a very young player uh, still. Um, he's only uh, 19 years old, and I think he just turned 19 recently uh, in June. And and heading to the Premier League, uh, to a club that is playing so well and has a pretty established 11, particularly considering what we've seen with Vinagre, who has been a bit part player over the, the last few months, if I'm not incorrect, there was possibility the idea that he would grow more at, at Angers, which does have a history of developing some, some really interesting uh, uh, talent. But ultimately, I think that the lure of playing in the Premier League was simply uh, too much, not to mention that his bank account would get a, a, a considerable upgrade. Yes, that could well have been one attraction to the Premier League. Possibly wouldn't be the first player to come on that basis. But what about defensively? How would you rate him in that department? Well, I, I, I think he still has a lot of bulking up to do. And obviously, when a player has as much skill um, as he does, you don't want them to get too big because there's always the, the fear that he might lose some agility. But he does need to get stronger. Um, you see that in, in Liga, which is a much more physical league than I think a lot of people give it credit for, uh, but certainly not as physical uh, and where the game is not as fast as in the Premier League. So that is one area that he's going to need to work on. And, and it's, it is unquestionable that when you look at, at Ryan and the way that he plays football, that the thing that catches the eye is his ability going forward. And I think considering that Wolves play with two wing backs, I think that that will certainly help him out um, in in the attacking play. But he will have to fine tune his defensive efforts one hundred percent. As well as knowing a lot about Ryan Eight Nori, another reason to get you on the podcast, Eric, is the fact that you are Portuguese and therefore probably have some emotional stake in. Wolverhampton Wanderers and how they get on. Uh, do you follow their progress much? Do you keep track of the Portuguese players? I, I do as, as, as much as I can. Uh, obviously, working for being sports, I have to focus on other leagues, but uh, I always try to watch the big games and I always try to watch Wolves games because, you know, the revolution there uh, with uh, Nuno Espirito Santo and the players that are coming in and just the success that they've had. I was a little bit sad actually to see uh, Jota go to uh, to Liverpool and nothing against Liverpool, but I just like the Portuguese contingent uh, at Wolves. So I do try and follow them as uh, as much as possible. Are you surprised that João Moutinho is still being called up for Portugal now? Not at all. Not considering how well he played last season. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was the player of the season for you guys, right? So um, I, I think, look, this is a guy who, while his legs are getting a little bit slower, his brain is as sharp as ever. And uh, the Portuguese football is, at least if you look at the national team, is a team that is dependent on really smart movement uh, and excellent passing more than intense running. So I still think he has uh, a role to play for the national team. Whether he will remain a starter in the foreseeable future in the Euro, if there is one uh, next year, I'm not sure. But he absolutely has a, a, a place uh, in the squad. And, and 
I like seeing him in the Premier League. You know, he's this smaller figure who still happens to hold his own very well among the giants. So very proud of João Moutinho, particularly because I'm also a, a sporting club Portugal supporter. Uh, and after he left the Algarve, where I grew up, he went to Sporting. So I was very pleased with that. And Eric, it's Tim here. Just one more on um, Aitnor, if that's okay. I mean, Wolves after the international break, um, Leeds at home, Newcastle away, Palace at home. You know, if um, Fernando Marcel is still injured, can he come in and do a job immediately in the Premier League or is that going to be asking too much of him? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I don't think it's the, the, the quality of the Premier League or the speed of the game that's going to be uh, a, uh, an issue at all. It will just be the understanding with his teammates. I know that there's a tendency for for a lot of uh, Premier League uh, supporters to wonder whether a player can come in and do the job in the Premier League because they're not necessarily familiar with either um, foreign leagues or, or the players that ply their trade in them. But he is a guy who's got exceptional skill. And, and I think that with a few a few days, a few weeks of practice, a little bit of understanding of, of what is expected of him uh, by Nuno, it, both defensively and in the attack, I absolutely think that this is a guy who can hit the, the, the ground running. But, it, but considering his age... Uh, I think it's also very important that if he does make mistakes, um, that supporters don't get on him very quickly and think, well, he's obviously not good enough to play in this league because that's simply not the case. Uh, But confidence will be important. He's moving to a completely different uh, culture, a completely different team with a very different style of play, even though uh, Stéphane Molin at Angers also played um, with a back three on occasion, depending whether usually – if they were playing home or away, um, it, it's still a very different system. So I think it's, there's going to have to be a little bit of patience, but he's a guy who can put in a shift right away, in my opinion. Okay, Eric Krakauer, commentator for BN Sports in the United States. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So it finished at Molyneux on Sunday. Wolverhampton Wanderers won Fulham nil. Positives, clean sheet, a goal, and it was way, way less bad than West Ham 4, Wolves nil. Um, Tim, what improved and what do you think still needs to improve? Oh my goodness. Um, It was a difficult watch, wasn't it, Jackie? It was, but there's a lot of people moaning on my my timeline and a few Mm. friends of mine, not happy with the performance. But what I would say was after the abomination that was West Ham away, uh, the worst performance, certainly the worst results statistically and arguably the worst performance of the entirety of Nuno Espirito Santo's reign to then 
have a, a poor, rubbish, but motivated Fulham team intent on getting their first point of the season, arriving at Molyneux and Wolves beating them and keeping a clean sheet. I'm not sure what more you can ask from them than, than that. You know, maybe we expect too much from them sometimes. Um, I thought on this on this occasion, you know, just to get a win, a clean sheet, get back on the board was fine. And, you know, Nuno wasn't shouting from the rooftops at full time about how well they played, you know, far from it. In fact, he was probably the most critical I've seen him after a victory, I think I would say. Said um, defensively they were better, but still not great. Creativity was really lacking up front. I thought that was very pointed that he was that he was keen to point that out. So, yeah, I think it's just one of them. I mean, I, Jackie, I compared it to a, a cold, withered, dry chicken nugget at a finger buffet. You know, there's always one left after two hours. <laughs> and you'll you'll take it if you're starving, right? But it's not that nice. I'm not, not in COVID times, I don't think. I think you just leave it there, would That's you? That's true. Yeah, I forgot it's 2020. Unless and, it's got ketchup, in which case you might. And you, what, what, what food group or what food did you compare? Did you compare it to last night? Oh, blancmange. <laughs> I was talking about the midfield. Well, I was watching... I was watching bits back and sending you clips and you probably tried to watch something far more interesting um but uh, yeah i still worry about the midfield and i mean overall i was a little bit concerned seeing so much negativity i have to be honest i'm like come on they haven't had a pre-season this is not ideal they're trying to upgrade the squad they're trying to bring in young talented players they are trying to improve nuno is desperate to have more time on the training ground you could tell from his post-match quotes, even his pre-match quotes, all of it, internationals going, he's going to have, what, two, three, four players, if that, on the training ground. He hasn't had time to work with them. So from my perspective, and I am generally a glass half full gold kind of person rather than a glass half empty black kind of person. And I just think it's something to build on. I think while you're trying to ease your way into the season, and we've seen another struggle without a pre-season as well, while you're trying to ease your way in, just get a result, just get a victory at home to Fulham. And it was a million miles away from perfect, but at least Nuno acknowledged it. It's not like he was coming out saying, you know, the Paul Lambert days, we're excellent, we're excellent, when everyone could see it was nowhere near perfect. I just thought, give him a break. That's Scottish accent. I do a lot, excellent. I thought, just give him a break. Nuno knows what they need to do. The players know it's going to take time. They've just got to try and get into the season as quickly as they can. They've got to get through this international break, try and come back unscathed. Otherwise, Nuno will, will blow his top if they all come back injured. And, um, and, and just get these new players get them into the side, get them integrated, get them playing the Nuno way. I mean, you could see from the way they were playing that very disjointed. And again, I sent you a load of clips of how it's just not working with Raul at the moment. The link-up play, his link-up play, he's not pressing from the front. He looks either tired or he's nowhere near um, bullying and bothering defenders in the way that he was, particularly in the last couple of minutes. I was watching that thinking, come on, Raul, Raul, put a shift in. You never look at him and think he's not. Uh, in the midfield again, you just saw you saw Ruben Neves being passed through very easily, and Matinho when he came on as well. So there's just so much to work on. But Rome wasn't built in a day, or Lisbon wasn't built in a day, and um, it's going to take time. So I think people just need to chill out, <laughs> like be a that. bit more positive, and just back this side, and they'll, they'll they might not come good. It might be a bit of a transitional season. It might be a mid-table season, but if they have a crack at the FA Cup and then come back so much better next season when these players are bedded into English football, they're very much in the Nuno way, um, then it still counts as progress in my eyes. Yeah, well said, Joe. I think I think you've got to look at the fact that they had this marathon season last season, 59 games, and then they had a 30-day turnaround before the new season and they tried to have a bit of a break 
and then they came back and then they went away on the international duty. So they had two or three days together to prepare for the entire season. I mean, that's a joke. And then you've got the the, the tight schedule of the games this season. They're all going to be crammed in. Uh, we've never seen a season like it. They're back away on international duty again now. They go away again next month. They've got three, three international games over the next couple of weeks. Nuno's really furious about this and he's a training ground manager at heart. That's what he is. He wants his players on the training ground. You know, Wolves is... 343 system was born over six weeks of incessant double or triple daily sessions and that pre-season in Austria back in 2017 he wants to drill this into them and um, and he hasn't had time to do that over, over, over the last few weeks so I thought there were, I thought there were some promising signs the performance of, of Semedo I liked I think it seemed like he's integrating quite quickly maybe and was playing some nice little passes and good movement in the final third I think he'll be a real um, exciting addition going forward literally going forward and he's not fit yet came off towards the end he's linked up with Portugal on international duty so he should be fine but as against West Ham he couldn't complete the game so you've got his fitness levels as well Neves was probably better against West Ham I was looking at his, his forward passes he played kind of nine forward sort of mid-range 20 yard passes as opposed to only three against West Ham so they were they were trying to up the pace a little bit but it was a bit slow. It was a bit laboured. It was a bit side to side. And um, yeah, Pedence wasn't great either, obviously coming back from his shoulder injury. So they just lacked a bit of inspiration really. And and the lack of link up with Jimenez concerns me because Jota was so adept at that. And that's something that Pedence really needs to um, improve on and Neto as well. And to be honest, Fulham should have drawn that game. I mean, Kamara, after that whistle stop, uh, excellent counter-attack involving Luckman, albeit yeah, they cut through walls very easily. How he's missed that from 10 yards, a free shot, is absolutely shocking. Almost as shocking as when as when, <laughs> as when you asked me on the phone last night if, if there's a cock emoji on WhatsApp. <gasps> Where's that come from? A spider! <laughs> oh dear. You didn't mean it, but it was um, it did make me chuckle. I meant a cockerel, as you well know. <laughs> it just I came did. out wrong. <laughs> Cheeky monkey. Oh, I do love, I do love oh. debunking the squeaky, squeaky clean Jackie Oatley image week by week on this podcast. <laughs> I've started swearing a lot more recently. I think my you swearing are, yeah. levels do go hand in hand with Wolverhampton Wanderers' performances, but I think that's normal. That's normal. Oh, sorry, I digress. So no, um, a better team would have got a point, but do you know what? You take it, you take the win, you take the clean sheet and you move on. You do. Um, looking at Neves, um, his first season in the Premier League, he had 16 shots on target. 22% shooting accuracy, down to 10 shots on target last season, 16% shooting accuracy. And this season, one shot on target so far in his four games and 14%. Okay, so he's been playing in a deeper role a lot of the time. But, you know, I was looking on stats websites, Premier League website, and comparing him as a midfielder to others. And in terms of shots from midfield this season, Harvey Barnes has had 13, Thomas Suchek of West Ham's had 12, De Bruyne 11. Um, and Neves is, you know, way, way down there. Um, you just wonder where, where the additional firepower is coming from. If it's not going to come from Mourinho, which it's not, that's not particularly his game. Um, it just seems like they're relying quite a lot on, on Neto and watching back the Fulham game. 
you know, fabulous finish from him. There was an opportunity for Neto to slide in Raul in a very central position. He didn't. He had a shot that was blocked. Poor decision. Um, Pedence had a great opportunity to slide in Raul. He didn't. A really poor flick from him. There wasn't any link-up play with Raul. It just wasn't there. And even when Raul's getting the ball up front, he's giving it away, running into trouble straight away. So... A lot to work on there. I'm sure it'll come good, but there's certainly a lot to work on. They are relying a lot on Neto. It's a good point. And there is promise in that midfield. I I think Neves is is going to be a sitter, isn't he? I'd like to see him further up the field due to his vision and his passing range. However, he's probably not athletic or agile enough to, to do that or quick enough to do that. I think that's the issue. It's a frustration, but I think he I think he is going to be a sitter. And I think if you're going to do that, then it's got to be Dendonka alongside him at the moment. And you know, I wouldn't have dreamed of saying that six months ago. But Matinho's influence has waned dramatically, really. You know, he's not influencing on games. He's not being a defensive shield and he's not offering enough going forward in the final third. And, and his, his his ball retention's fine, but that, that's about it, really. God, I don't know if I'm being overly harsh. Just not getting enough out of them. Because if Neves is sitting, then you need a midfield partner to be slightly more offensive or at least providing ammunition and firepower. And in Matinho's 80 Premier League appearances, he scored two goals and 14 assists. So, you know, where where is the firepower coming from? Because you can't just rely on Neto. But Enzo Gay has come back from shoulder injury, but he was, he was really anemic. And Raul's also a little bit off colour. At least he's not the dynamic Raul we know and the link-up play is not happening. So... Plenty to work on, but I thought Dendonka at least made a big difference and it was his header and blocked shot that led to the goal, remember? He was involved twice in that move. Yeah, you, you, you wouldn't have got Matinho or Neves doing that. I thought I thought that was great and he's, I, I was amazed he didn't at least come off the bench against West Ham. In hindsight, he should have started there. He started against Fulham. He's in the team for me, absolutely now. I think him and him and Neves with, with Neto pushing on from midfield, it's, it's got promise. Needs a lot of work, but it's, it's got What promise. about Conor Cody, by the way? Because he wasn't his usual self against West Ham because literally none of them were apart from the goalkeeper. Um, I thought fantastic performance from him, reflected in the stats as well. Real leader and, and he was happy with the way things went. He said, I think we went back to basics, being closer to each other, which is a big issue against West Ham, wasn't it? Being more in line with each other and making sure we were stepping out with each other because it's important when you play against top strikers like Mitrovic and the forward boys. Um, that they've got. So big improvement there. Max Kilman as well. Yep, great. We spoke about him last week. You know, he's never let himself down and, he, and he's come in his first game of the year in the league, I think, and, and and done really well. You know, he made a bit of a nervy start, but he was he was, he was was combative and confident and his well-aimed clearance, <laughs> shall we say, should have resulted in a, in yeah. a, in a goal for Jimenez when he, he sent Jimenez through on goal. And he really should have scored, but put it too close to the keeper. So I was pleased for Kilman. He got good protection from Saïs, who Nuno called amazing after the game. Now, I, I wouldn't have called Saïs' performance amazing, but I see what he's saying, that he's a fish out of water at left wing back and he's he's done a decent job. I mean, it's a one-off stopgap that we hope never happens again. But, um, but I thought him and Kilman played really close together, um, as did Samedo and Bolly on the other side. I, I, I still don't know what happened at West Ham. It was incredible how far apart they were from each other. They just completely... Do they have some dodgy lasagna before the game or something? <laughs> There's something just... Or they were all kept up all night by an, a, a fire alarm or something. It was one of those aberrations, wasn't it? Yeah, I, can't, I still can't explain it, but they were back to how they normally are against Fulham. You know, partnerships closer together, more of a compact defence. Like I said, they were still looking to get a clean sheet, but it was, it was, it was much better 
albeit not an enthralling watch by any means. It was very slow. There was lack of pace in the game, apart from Neto. There wasn't a lot of pace. There's no pace in the midfield. The Raul's not known for his pace. Um, it's really Neto is, is the only player that provided. Semedo, I thought, on the right wing-back position, very, very promising from him. Um, a lot to build on there, but um, it was a bit slow and laboured. But one of the reasons I wasn't remotely, remotely upset is you just need three points clean sheet before the international break, because otherwise it would have been a long old break. And, and also the fact there were three regular left wing backs missing. And so it was yeah, very, totally very yeah. makeshift on that. And before kickoff, I mean, I had BBC commentator messaging me going, who's playing left wing back? I said, we're still trying to work it out. Think Saiz could possibly have been Neto, but uh, thought Saiz. And it's not remotely his position. And um, and they did a good job there. And don't forget, at this stage last season, yes, there were all those Europa League matches as well. Very different setup going into the season. Um, but they only had four points after six Premier League games of last season. They drew the first three and lost the next two. So at this stage last season, they still had that um, awful defeat at home to Chelsea to come. Um, so it's certainly an improvement in terms of points. They've got two more points than they had at this stage last season and went on to finish seventh. And I don't know, I just, I just don't get the doom and gloom and I don't think it helps the players, I don't think it helps the club. And I think... Yes, there might be legitimate reasons to be worried, but there's one thing being a little bit worried and another just absolutely selecting. Yeah, you're right about about the league position. And they've got some nice fixtures, I think, coming up. You know, Leeds away will be tricky. Newcastle and Palace at home after that. That's a good opportunity to get some points for me. In November, they've got three games, one of which is Southampton at home sandwiched in between trips to, to Leicester and Arsenal. So the, the, the worry the worry for me, one, is that they're not going to hit their peak for a while, which is what Nuno suggested after, after Sunday. He was very open about that. He said, look, we've had no preparation. We've had no pre-season. We've had a very long season last season. There's everything that's going on with COVID. We've got more internationals than ever before. There's disruption constantly. And he said, you know, we, we may not hit our peak for a while, is what he suggested. And he said, it, it's obvious why. Um, and he said all managers are, are, are feeling the same and all managers are struggling. This is why we're getting these completely bonkers results in the Premier League. So I, I do worry that we might not see them hit their peak until after Christmas, maybe. And I think why fans are more annoyed more than any other reason is that it's just it's just not very good to watch. It's quite boring. It's quite dull. It's um, I don't know if it's simple enough to equate this to a lack of fans, but matches aren't as fun to watch anymore. Wolves aren't as fun to watch at a team. I've, I've tried to kind of nail down on it and look, looked at some stats. There's not much sort of pre and post lockdown that's different really. They're averaging 12 shots a game this season. They averaged 12 shots a game last season. The number of fast breaks and counter-attacks are actually up this season per game compared to last season, albeit from a tiny sample size of, of four matches. I mean, they're averaging slightly more passes per game now 20 more passes per game and their and their pass accuracy is, slight, is slightly up but I'm not going to look into that and chances created yeah, is tricky basically analyze, the same 8 or 9 I mean, a game so the stats the stats don't suggest that anything different is happening but when you're watching them it is just a bit laboured I mean you, show me, you sent me some clips last night of of how they weren't they, Raul Jimenez wasn't chasing around in the in the in the dime minutes he was just stood still what in stoppage time when Fulham were playing it around the back if there were 30,000 people in Molyneux he he wouldn't be doing that and i just feel that they've lost some intensity and and i know it's no excuse and i know it's the same for every every team and every club but i just think Wolves are feeling it more than most you know someone asked me on twitter today in your experience as a journalist team have Wolves got the loudest fans in the country and I, 
pretty much. Like, I haven't been to many away grounds that, that are louder at Molyneux in the last few years. Anfield on the last day, a couple of seasons ago, maybe. But And Wolves as away fans, by the way, absolutely brilliant. Best place to be, the Wolves away end. Yeah, and they've been on this unbelievable, unbelievable ride together. And it's been so, so positive and, you know, it's all that one-pack nonsense. But, you know, people buy into it and, and it means something. And they're very loud and they, and they, and they spur the team on. And I, I think Wolves... I think Wolves are missing that more than Southampton, for example, where it's always very quiet and very nice, or Fulham, you know, maybe. I, d- I don't know. I'm rambling here, but I do think there's something in that um, because they're just not as entertaining to watch yeah. as they were before lockdown. All a bit That's a fact, in my pace. opinion. Yeah, I thought some of the, the best attacks were Connor Cody stepping in from the striker and then launching long passes, yeah. accurate ones as well. His stats were outstanding, really, really good. I mean, when you're relying on your, your centre-half and your captain to be creating for you, it's a little bit of a concern, but there's plenty to work on. And I, I am slightly the opinion that I think this season, it's not write-off. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying it's write-off, but I do think it's so random, given the background, given the the bubbles, the testing. I mean, I just think it's so random. random. Right. The score Absolutely. lines elsewhere are, are reflecting that as well. And I think it's kind of like just, just accept it. And it's kind of football's happening and I'm just so grateful that football's happening particularly bearing in mind my job um but I, th- I think you do, of course it's professional yeah. and of course these people are working hard and you've got to get the best out of what you've got but I do think there's a big asterisk that says folks these aren't normal circumstances these people can't see the families they can't travel back home they can't um behave as they normally would they can't integrate when you've got new signings they can't go around each other's houses and hang out and have dinners and stuff. It's just not normal. So I think maybe just suspend a little bit of judgment on that basis. Yeah, 2020 is an absolute write-off um, for all of us. Um, and you're right, Nuno, Nuno and the word random don't go very well together. He, he, he likes stability. He likes structure. He likes organisation. He likes routines. That's what his squad are used to as well. This is the complete opposite of that. So it might be a season for, for patience and maybe for transition and... If you ask me to call it now, I think I think we might see some mixed results up until Christmas and then hopefully we'll see them sort of reach their peak and get into a rhythm after Christmas and maybe make a bit of a late push for sort of top eight maybe. I think uh, I think I think most fans would probably take that at this moment in time. Yeah, and look at Nuno's comments after the match. Again, he's not his usual happy-ish kind of self. He's talking about anxiety and being concerned and he said it's not normal, but it's what we have. I'm very, very worried for the players' safety. I'm always worried. Um, you try to pass information on, this is talking about international teams here, but the pandemic situation, it's a very different environment. There are different protocols. I'm not the only manager who worries about it, I think he's saying, and the testing, how many hours before the game, and he says tough moments for everyone. So he's very anxious about what's going on and his players just going all over the world and you do only get limited communication with the um, with the national sides and of course when the players are there they belong to them and they do what they want with them and they can play them they can over play them they can overtrain them it's out of Nuno's hands and he is in the nicest possible way a control freak and that's what makes him so good is that he is a control freak and everything's done to the very very highest standards and we've seen the results in the last couple of years but anyway strange 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 old times and it's leads away next but we have next week to chat about that don't we we do, yeah. Looking, uh, looking forward to that one. Um, what's happening over the next kind of week or so? The domestic window is still open, we should say. Wolves were looking to get Ryan Bennett, Oscar Burr Rasmussen, and Roderick Miranda out yesterday, but nothing really came up. But deals can still continue between Premier League clubs and EFL clubs, 
one way or t'other, but not between Premier League clubs. So Ryan Bennett can't go to Fulham, for example, but he can go to Norwich. So they'll try and get a few of those out. Dion Sanderson as well, who's not figuring for the under-23s, and they're looking they're looking to get him out. Niall Ennis, people like that. It's not a bloated squad. It's not like a Man United, you know, Rojo, Romero, Phil Jones, Igalo type thing where all these guys are on massive wages. But um, but yeah, they'll look to get these guys' clubs in, in the next month, in the next week, sorry. Um, and then the international break as well. Like I said earlier, Wolves have probably got more internationals now than, than ever before including nine away with Portugal at the moment. That's five in the first uh, senior squad, which is Patricio, Semedo, Neves, Matinho and Pedence, who, who might win his first cap for Portugal. He's been called up before, but he might win his first cap. The under-21s have got Neto and Vitinha. And then the under-20s have got Fabio Silva and Christian Marquez. So there's nine of them going away with Portugal. Obviously, Conor Cody's back with England. Fantastic news. I hope he gets a game. They've got three matches. Uh, Romain Saiz with Morocco. Dendonka's with Belgium, who play England. Jimenez is back with Mexico. First time he's going to play for them for a year. And Adama Traore is so good, he gets two call-ups for Mali and Spain. Um, very kind of cheeky, cheeky call-up from Mali, who got in there ahead of Spain because he hasn't played for Spain yet. He's withdrawn twice <laughs> through injury and coronavirus. So Mali thought, hang on, he hasn't played for Spain yet. We'll try and coax him to play for us. Um, Traore's parents are from Mali, but he was born in Spain. But he has declared for Spain and has, and has joined up with a squad. So hopefully he gets a debut as well, try, a, a debuts for Traore and, and Pedence. That'd be great. And then there are, uh, the stragglers are left at Compton. There's not many of them, but um, uh, Ruddy, Ruddy, Bolly, Kilman, Marcel as he continues his rehabilitation. I don't think Ike Nori's been called up. He has played for France at youth level, but I looked through there. 18s, 19s and 20s this morning. It wasn't in any of them. And I'm so sorry, but the one I can't find any information on whatsoever and I completely blame the Dutch Federation website is Kiana Hoover. Um, Their squads aren't listed. So uh, uh, apologies if it's me looking in the wrong place, but no, I think Dutch FA sort your website out because I I can't find find it anywhere or on their Twitter page. So he may be on international duty for Dutch under-19s or he he may not be. Okay, finally, just a, a couple of quick tweets for you, Tim. Yes. Tom McGillan, what lessons were learnt from last summer's unsuccessful transfer window as we seem to have signed again young and up-and-coming players with the exception of Marcel, dare I say the same mould of Catrone and Vallejo, and we have let more experienced players leave, and Semedo, of course, he says. Uh, yeah, I mean, Vallejo, I'm not sure they could have foreseen how bad he was going to be. <laughs> Sorry, but he was, he was terrible. The cloud, I feel bad calling him the cloud, but he was barely there. I mean, he was a uh, Spain under 21 captain, comes from Real Madrid. They'd scouted him. They thought he was going to work well. He just didn't get used to the intensity of the English league. And Catroni, I think the issue with him was more personality, really, from what I hear. He was very moody. Um, he was very annoyed that he wasn't kind of starting every week. And, and he was a bit not disruptive to the rest of the squad, but, you know, not the personality that Nuno wanted and he didn't get Nuno didn't get the reaction from him that he wanted when he wasn't in the team so yeah a couple of a couple of poor additions I, I think they've I think they've gone back to the sort of tried and tested mould of sort of 19 20 21 year olds worth about 20 20 million plus that, that they feel can really develop and be worth a lot more in the future you know that's worked for them in the past 
Um, I think they made some good additions. Mike, on the fan base, how will we survive Wolves' Twitter when we're down all season in 14th while Nuno tries out new ideas? Well, this is oh, it's going to test. I think it might test people's paces this year, honestly. I, I can foresee that potentially November, December, there might be, you know, sort of... Um, um, lower half of the table, 10th, 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 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, maybe. That's, if I was going to call it now, like I said, that that might be what happens. And then they have a bit of a push maybe after Christmas and rise up the table. But we're not used to this. It's, it's been a complete upward trajectory for three years. And um, this is something we're not used to. Simon Law, is this about rebuild and transition with no expectation of Europe? How will we retain our stars next summer, if that's the case? I doubt we can, he says. Th- th- that is a concern for me, that if they have a poor season and that maybe they finish bottom half, then the likes of Neves might, might be looking on and Trail Ray, etc. That is a concern. But you've got to remember that, that Nuno believes this is for the greater good. You know, he wants to change the formation um, or the system, rather, the way that they play for them to become more of a dominant attacking team in the long term um, to try and to try and challenge for the top four. So it's a bit of um, one step back, two steps forward, maybe, maybe this season. But at least while that's frustrating, at least you're thinking they are thinking forwards. Surely there's nothing worse oh, than being God. in a club when Honestly. they're talking about bodies in the door, let's get everybody in today and chuck out a team oh on Saturday. God. And with no forward thinking, it's all about the today. They're not caring about the personalities and how they integrate and how they actually play tactically off each other. Without that kind of thought, I'd take this any day of the week, any day of the week compared to that. Jackie Oatley, my goodness, uh, an ambitious, rich, sensible club that's looking to the long term with its additions. I mean, come on, after after successive seventh place finishes, you can't ask you can't ask for much more. You really can't. No. Will Jimenez now form a partnership with Pedence? I think that's what I think that's what we want to see. Like I said, um, Jota and Jimenez worked so intrinsically well. So somebody else has, has got to step up now. How can we get Adama and Ruben firing again? Asks Adrian. Ne- Nevers, I, th- I think well, I think we might see Nevers sort of coming into his own a bit more with Dendonka alongside him. I think we've seen signs of that last season. I remember that Everton game. Nevers completely bossed. Traore, for me, I'm just not sure where he quite fits into this eleven at the moment. Um, is he going to form a, a partnership with Semedo? You know, the the, the fastest uh, wing partnership in the country, or will a Wolves better suited to having Pedence play a bit narrower and allowing Semedo to get to the byline? I think that's more suited to what they've got at the moment, and Traore will be on the bench for now. Ricky Brooks, if you could press a button to guarantee Wolves finish seventh this season and get knocked out of the FA Cup at the semi-final stage, would you press it? Yes. So would I, especially <laughs> bearing in mind that would mean that I was right because I predicted Wolves to be seventh at the end of the season. You predicted fifth. Don't so don't bring up predictions now, already. It's October. Because because well predictions are predictions. You can't predict at the end of the yeah, season. Yeah, only because you're just looking more likely that works. you'll be right rather than me. <laughs> yes, come on, let's hope so. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Cheers, Jackie. Oh, little shout out for the Wolves women as well because they've only gone and thumped their opponents yet again. This time, 9-0 against Burton Albion. Hat-trick from Jade Cross. So they've won 9-0, 5-0, 8-1, 6-0 this season. Scored 28, won against Wem away on Sunday. And the Wolves are top of the table. So that is a good place to finish. What are you working on this week, Spiders? So doing a bit of a profile on Nate Norrie for later in the week. So what can people expect from him? Um, we've got a Morgan Gibbs-White special come in later in the international break as well. I went to watch him at Swansea on Saturday he was excellent and spoke to his manager Steve Cooper as well so that should be hopefully an interesting feature and a couple of other bits for next week 
but yeah, keep your eyes peeled. Great. So make sure you are a subscriber to The Athletic by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves Pod. It's only a pound a month, so you can get all of Tim's fabulous content and all of the other content from the rest of the wonderful journalists from The Athletic. Tim and I will be back next week, not reflecting on any football matches, but we'll be talking about something to do with Wolverhampton Wanderers. So do join us next Tuesday morning on your regular podcast provider. Bye for now. Thank you.